Am I a God at hand, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord. Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord. I have heard what the prophets have said, who prophesy lies in my name, saying, I have dreamed, I have dreamed. How long shall there be lies in the heart of the prophets who prophesy lies? and who prophesy the deceit of their own heart, who think to make my people forget my name by their dreams, that they tell one another, even as their fathers forgot my name for Baal. Let the prophet who has a dream tell the dream, but let him who has my word speak my word faithfully. What has straw in common with wheat, declares the Lord, Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. 
I came to cast fire on the earth and would that it were already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Do you think that I've come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. For from now on, one in one house there will be five divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. He also said to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once, a shower is coming. And so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, there will be scorching heat. And it happens. You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? Father, thank you that your word is fire. We pray that it would burn away the chaff in our lives and that it would make us ready to be strengthened by you. Lord, thank you for this season of our lives, no matter where we find ourselves, but grant us, Lord, to be found in faith. We pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Welcome to St. Bartholomew's. We're so glad that you're here. It's so lovely outside. This is my favorite part of the year. 100, 100, 100, 99, 99, 98, 100, 100, 100. It's like all my grades in school. Oh dear. Some tough words tonight from our Lord Jesus. Faith, fire, baptism. No, it's not the name of a youth camp in the Ozarks. <laughs> or a good band name, maybe. Faith, fire, baptism. Those are the images that put forth to us tonight through the Holy Scriptures, and that's the title of my sermon, Faith, Fire, Baptism. And as we look at these things, I want to draw out what these images and what these realities speak to us in these lessons. Faith. Faith by its nature, as we take these lessons together in the, the totality of Scripture, the beautiful, harmonious canon, faith by its nature distinguishes two groups. We've been taught, and Christians have not been so great, especially in North America, maybe especially in the 20th century, of doing the us against them kind of thing. But what we see by its nature is that faith distinguishes two groups. I've heard it been said, you either love the Beatles, Abbey Road, 50 years. Have you ever listened to the whole album? Fascinating especially the last half. You either love the Beatles or you prefer Ringo. No, you don't, you really dislike the Beatles. So you love them or you hate them. In faith, it's, it's maybe not that simplistic, but you either have faith, you, you either adhere to God and his commandments and his love and receive his yes to us or you don't. Faith. My response God. Now, fire, by its nature, fire does all sorts of things. I love fire. I'm not a danger to you or your neighborhood. I'm not on the Dallas Fire and Rescue's list of people who need to take fire safety classes, because that is a thing. It's real. It's not funny. But I don't have to do that. But I do love fire. And fire is powerful because by its nature, it consumes and it cleanses in judgment. 
I had the privilege, the beautiful privilege to be with my beautiful wife in the beautiful San Francisco Bay Area. And we, as, as soon as we got there, we went right to Muir Woods, which is home to towering redwood trees. Amazing. Some of these trees are almost 300 feet tall in Muir Woods. And did you know that without fire, the redwoods cannot survive? Isn't that amazing? There has to be fire to cleanse out the undergrowth. And did you know that the bark of the redwood is super thick and like a sponge? And what does it do to the fire? It keeps it away. It keeps it at bay. So without fire, there can be no cleansing of the undergrowth because how are redwoods watered? And why do they exist in such a small strip of land up and down the Pacific Northwest? The fog that rolls in over the mountains hits the tops of these redwoods, condenses, falls to the forest floor, and waters them. So where there's no fog, there are no redwoods. But where there's no fire, there are also no redwoods. Fire, by its nature, consumes and cleanses. And in this context, there's a, there's a context of judgment. We'll talk about that in a minute. Faith fire, baptism. Baptism, by its nature, what am I going to say? Cleanses. Baptism, by its nature, divides. There's a separation. You think about water. I did not grow up where there were natural bodies of water, where water was like a resource that you could drive a boat down or drive. I don't know what you do with a boat, sail. So I didn't grow up with water in that way. But if you grew up in a city with a river, one side of the river, maybe the same city, but there's one culture here and another culture here. Water divides, especially baptism in this context divides. So let's jump into it. Notice the by faith passage. We have a continuation of Hebrews 11. And we see these two groups. By faith, the people, the people of Israel, the Hebrews who cried out to God for generations that he would deliver them and sent them Moses. And he got Moses' attention with a burning bush, a non-combustible yet burning bush. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea on dry land, but the Egyptians. So we have one group, the people, Israel, God's chosen, his dear ones, the children of Abraham. By faith, the people crossed. But who did not? Well, they tried, but the Egyptians, they did not cross the Red Sea. Here is a prime example of faith establishing two groups. And we see a note of judgment. We see that not only is God delivering his people Israel, not only is he fulfilling a promise he made to Abraham of seed, land, and promise, but he's also fulfilling a, a word to the Egyptians. And that is a word of judgment. And in this moment, we see this division of two groups, the people of Israel, the people of Egypt. The writer goes on, verse 30. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient. You have Rahab, who by faith was spared. A woman in all indications, if you look at what would become the Mosaic law given to them, she was not living a godly life, but she was a friend to the people of God by faith. 
So you have Rahab, and you have, how does the writer describe them? The other people who were disobedient. You've got this separation into two, two groups, whether we like it or not. Doesn't seem fair, it just is. So that's what we have. And then the writer goes on. All of these people mentioned, and we can't help but notice, especially in verses 32 and 33, these leaders from the era of the judges. These were deeply flawed people who made a lot of mistakes and caused a lot of harm. But by faith, they obtained promises, delivered from judgment. All of these things stopped the mouths of lions, we think of Daniel. Can't help but think, they're not mentioned, but think of Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego in the fire in Babylon. So by faith, these, who even though they were deeply flawed, even though they had done things that were wrong, by faith they're lifted up. But these other people, what the writer will, will finish up saying, the world was not worthy of them. There was another group. So faith, by its nature, distinguishes. Because people make choices. And people follow. And people do what they will do. Notice that description in verse 34. By faith, they quenched the power of fire. Faith, fire. Fire, by its nature, consumes and cleanses in judgment. Jeremiah 23, the Lord is speaking through Jeremiah to false prophets. These false prophets apparently would dream a dream, which is very common for it to have a prophecy. They would dream the dream, and then they would speak it as the word of God. And we have two groups distinguished in this passage in Jeremiah 29, excuse me, 23. There's false prophets and true pr prophets. The false prophets dream the dreams. The true prophets know the word of God. Earlier in the chapter, he talks about keeping counsel with God, which our psalm tonight mentions. You can't speak the word of God, false prophets, unless you know me, unless you keep counsel with me. And then it, the prophet goes on to say, what has wheat to do with straw? Again, do you see the distinguishing factor? One bears fruit, one becomes bread, or whatever other wheat product you like or are allergic to. The other is good for fire. It's really good for nothing except fire. And even if you, trust me, as a guy who enjoys fire, you can use straw for a second as kindling, but you got to have a ton of it. And what happens to it? It burns up immediately. We can't help but think that St. Paul, writing in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, 3 and 4, talking about his own building up of the church, he says, I don't use materials like wood, hay, or straw, which are burned up quickly, but precious materials. So fire consumes and cleanses. And we hear our Lord Jesus. And this, whenever I read the words of Jesus in this kind of context, I can't help but think of uh, that curmudgeonly old Mr. Beaver when speaking to Lucy. When Lucy wants to pet Aslan, the lion. And he can, all he says is, oh, he's not safe, but he's good. Oftentimes we have a vision of Jesus who is from De Plain, Illinois. He's very waspy. He's very white and pasty. He might have a, a lamb over his shoulders and have a sort of longing look in his eyes. Might be in any a number of John Hughes films. But these words correct that image of Jesus. And what words does he use? Fire. 
the syntax in the Greek here has fire, fire at the beginning of the sentence. So it's emphatic. Fire I have come to kindle on the earth. We know that God's word is like fire and like a hammer, Jeremiah 23. And Jesus says, fire I have come to kindle. The word of God I have come to bring. The word of God I am. And what will it do? It will consume. It will cleanse. It will judge. This is very reminiscent, the pairing of fire and what we'll see in a second baptism, with Luke chapter 3, same writer, same gospel, earlier in the thing. When Jesus is described as one who will baptize you with fire and the Holy Spirit. So there's an aspect of judgment. In apocalyptic literature, this would have evoked a sense of preparing, of of sort of gathering up the faithful away from the unfaithful. Fire I have come to bring. So, so far, this sounds like a lot of judgment. We got Egyptians being killed in the Red Sea. We've got the people of Jericho being killed in this, this two-group thing. Okay, we got nations being conquered, the, the nation of Canaan. And we know this was a divine act of judgment. We know how, and God in his wisdom has something else going on here besides what we can see. But we're starting to see, like, this group has a really great... And they're looking really good. And boy, if I could just hop over into this group. And then this group really doesn't have it so great. They're experiencing a lot of terrible things. Baptism. Just as fire was in an emphatic place in the sentence. Fire I have come to kindle on the earth. And would that it were already kindled. Baptism I have to be baptized with. And how great is my distress. How anxious I am, Jesus says, until it is accomplished. Baptism by its nature does what? It divides. What do you mean? Well, when you're baptized here at St. Bart's, you're then part of the covenant community. You're in the family. In the Old Testament, we had a type of baptism. It's called circumcision. But now... We bring every child who's born into the family to baptism. And they're brought into the covenant community. And as they grow, we look for them to make decisions of conscientious faith. But they're still part of the covenant community. Baptism divides. And Jesus, in his emphatic moment, baptism I have to be baptized with. Well, we know Jesus was already baptized by John at the River Jordan. What's Jesus talking about? Well, what is he talking about? He's talking about the crucifixion and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. We think of what the writer of the Hebrews said, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Endured the agony of the cross. But wait a minute, you said, Jay, baptism divides. It does. Up until now, the people of faith have been divided like this. Benefit, 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 blessing, 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 blessing. But as Jesus takes these words on his lips, and as he chastises the crowd and says, you know how to tell when it's going to be 100 degrees and windy and really hot, nasty outside? 
You know how to tell when a cloud's coming in and it's going to rain. How can you not see the times? And Jesus says, this baptism is the death of the Son of God. And so Jesus, this Son of God, this one who was rich but became poor, does not put himself in this distinguishing group, receiving blessing, honor, all these things. But what does he do? This baptism divides his place into this camp. He will receive the judgment of God. Jesus will receive, are you hearing what I'm saying? Jesus will be judged for not just these people, but all of the people. Jesus will say, if anyone has had a right to be here in this people of faith, because I'm the author and perfecter of faith, he would never say that, but if anyone has a right, rhetorically, St. Paul might say, Jesus. But instead, what does he do? In bringing this fire to the earth that is cleansing and consuming, he takes the baptism that divides, that overwhelms, that kills. But that's not the end of the story. In Jesus' humble obedience, he receives the judgment of God. He drinks the cup, Mark would say in this context. He drinks the cup that God the Father has set aside for him. And in that moment, takes upon himself the judgment of all humankind. And we think back to fire, and we think back to Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. And we realize, what did King Nebuchadnezzar say? Hey, didn't we put three guys in there? There's a fourth in there, and he looks like the son of the gods. When we go into the fire, Jesus goes with us. When we are overwhelmed by the deluge, Jesus has already been overwhelmed for us. When we are attacked and tempted by the very devil himself, Jesus has already done it. He has come to be baptized with that baptism that we would never be able to handle. And so my question is tonight, in light of faith, fire, and baptism, where are you? Where are we? Where are you with faith? Faith in God, in Christ. The, the crucifixion is not a metaphor. It's not, oh, it's a great, yes, it's a great substitution. This is an actual historical event. This is, this is what's amazing about God, the Trinity. This unseen, unknown God, until he reveals himself, is that he engages us in specific, concrete acts of salvation throughout history. Notice the communion prayer whenever we have communion. We're retelling those concrete, specific actions. And Jesus' specific death was better. It's better than the blood of goats and bulls. It's a better word than the blood of any other sacrifice. It's better than any angel could do. It's better than any great work of man. It is the death that we deserve to die, that he dies on our behalf. And so tonight, when I ask you, where are you with faith and fire and baptism? The answer is very simple. Where do you stand in relationship 
to our Lord Jesus Christ, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and his victorious rule and reign, even now from the right hand of God. I love how the writer to the Hebrews finishes. And maybe this is a good finish for us tonight. Therefore, since you're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, by these men and women who were deeply flawed, yet faithful, we're surrounded by all of them, and they urge us on to lay aside every weight. Hey, the church weight that you have and I have, I'm not talking about the freshman 15 weight. I'm talking about the church burden that American church does to us, that I have to constantly shake off, and I'm guessing you do too. Lay aside the weight. I don't want you to have the church weight. Chris doesn't want you to have it, and God certainly doesn't want you to have it. Put it aside, the expectations. Lay aside every weight and sin. That's why the fire is so refreshing. It stings and it burns and it's terrifying, but it's cleansing. The sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Friends, we have nothing to offer the world, those who are not of faith at this point. We have nothing to offer them except our Lord Jesus, crucified, buried, alive, risen, ascended, and pleading with the world with outstretched arms to come to the knowledge and love of him. May we abide in that knowledge and love of him. May we not be marked by a stark boundary around us, but may we be, as the Bible says, as Israel was meant to be, and now the church is a kingdom of priests. We're a kingdom of mediators between the world and God. Be reconciled to God, he says through us. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for your grace and your love to us. We thank you for the fire. We thank you for the waters of baptism that though we could be drowned in them, we are not, but we are saved. And we thank you for faith, that you have given us the gift of faith. Thank you for our father Abraham who believed in you and it was counted to him as righteousness. Lord Jesus Christ, you are our wisdom, our hope, our joy, and our victory. We beg of you, you who were baptized on the cross, to continue to cleanse us and make us a sign and a symbol of your love to a lost and dying world. Through your name we pray, amen.